Welcome back to the Coach and Kernan Show. This is episode 29, August 30th, 2022. I'm Dave D'Agostino. I'm joined by my co-host, America's Most Beloved Sports Writer, Hall of Famer, Kevin Kernan. Also back with us as usual, Will George, Colorado Rockies scout, longtime baseball man, and our performance coach here on the show for our resident expert, Sal Marinello. Guys, welcome back to the show. Good morning. Good morning. Good to be here. We had a, a great, great interview yesterday with longtime Chicago Cubs scout Billy Blitzer. Uh, Billy was phenomenal. He started out in the scouting bureau. I think gave about as clear a depiction of what it meant to be a scout and a baseball man. And uh, we, we got a lot of great outreach from that interview, as we do with all of them. But this one really touched home with a lot of, especially the scouting community. And, uh, and I call Kevin, you were, you were a point of contact for a lot of these. Um, not, not that we have to give names and, and whatnot, uh, but g- give us a, a little bit of feedback you got from, from the show. Yeah, Billy, um, Billy has a very soothing voice, and you can see why he'd be a kind of guy that would be a great uh, scout, uh, especially on the amateur level, you know, talking to young players, getting a feel who they are. It's kind of like, uh, you know, he, he just makes you feel comfortable, and that's that's what this show is all about, you know. We try to do things here. When we say real voices of the game, we mean real voices of the game. We're, we're not kidding around. We're, we, we don't have a host who's a laughing hyena like on so, so many of the MLB uh, network shows and things like that. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, we don't, you know, and again, that, that, that they do what they do. I'm not ripping them. That's that's their shtick. I get it, you know. Um you know, we try to get to the heart of the matter and, and uh, we're emotional about it because we love the game and we see where the game's going. And getting people like Billy on is, uh, is, uh, is, is what we're all about. And there was one little note I'll pass along and we can move on. But um, Billy got one of these. We connect people. And Billy got a note from, um, from a scout that he hadn't spoken to in a long time and said, Hey, Billy, I apologize for the extended time of reaching out. Wanted to check in to say hello. Also wanted to congratulate you, and he mentions the awards that, that Billy won. And he said, I listened to Coach and Kernan with you and smiled through the whole thing as it brought back great memories of some of the best baseball people we knew and still know. A much-needed breath of fresh air in a business that has gone a little sideways of late. Never stop telling those stories, Billy. They continue to give us hope and remind us what is good about baseball. That's kind of like... A, James Earl Jones comment there, right, uh, from Field of Dreams. But that's what we do here. And um, please uh, pass this podcast along to other people. And we also educate young players, and that, that's our main goal. Um, but, of course, we've moved that. When I say young players now, I mean players who are up to 35 years old in the major leagues. Yeah, we're hitting, we're hitting everybody. We're trying to build better baseball IQs, and I, I think we're, we're serving our mission. And then some. Will, you had something you wanted to add to that. Yeah, um, same sentiments. When I listened to it yesterday and uh, I covered the same area as Billy and it was always great to see him. And we always sit and talk about the relationships that we've developed in baseball and truly love each other and care about each other. And he talked about Ralph DeLula, who was the king of scouting, and Lenny Marullo and guys like that that all should be in the Hall of Fame. 
And the scouting job is a thankless job. It's not a glamorous job, but the guys who do it truly love the game. They're ambassadors of the game. They find kids that love the game and give them the opportunity, and the game continues to grow by people that pay it forward like that. And I smiled throughout the whole thing listening to it. I texted Billy last night and uh, missed seeing him at the ballpark. And, you know, he's a guy that I, you know, have known now since I've been doing this for 35, 40 years. I first met him when I was coaching in the minor leagues. So, uh, what a wonderful human being, too. So, and it sounded like in that day and time, and we talk a little bit, Will, about your experiences scouting now. That it was a kind of a camaraderie. It was a kinship with the other scouts. Of course, you're all trying to find that talent, but uh, you, you built relationships with him. He knew the three guys that followed me around that helped me sign with Jack Joyce and Hank Caputo and Tony Ferrara, and yeah. uh, just a wonderful guy. And I said the same comment at the end of the show yesterday. I smiled the whole way through. It was like it brought me back to childhood and my time through, and, and uh, that was a. And it sounds like he did that with a lot of people yesterday. So yeah, um, we've got a t- we've got a really good week this week. We've got our panel of resident experts today. A lot of good topics to cover. Um, we also have uh, Jeff Fry. We'll have Will the Thrill Clark on tomorrow. Um, oh, that'd be a great interview. Uh, and then we had we'll have Alan Jager, who is the Jager the J Bands. Uh, you'll love him. Mental side of the game, physical side of the game. Uh, just a very different guest uh, and uh, really hit home with a lot of us uh, with, with the interview. So that'll air on Thursday. Of this and week. Alan was great about long toss. So if you want to get, if you're kid, yeah. you, you want to improve your arm, you listen to that podcast. Arm strength. Great. Yep. He was. All right. So let's, let's get rolling here with our, our usual uh, with Kevin here. Kevin, what's caught your eye in baseball this week? Well, I wait until the day of the show. Cause I don't want to catch up, see anything early because a lot of things catch my eye unfortunately with baseball and and a lot of it's good you know we're way ahead of the curve on many things uh going with judge but so much is bad and and the red sox i I just call them the stupid red sox right now because they're they're incredibly stupid as 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 players and i can't believe alex core is the manager of that team alex i've known forever Great baseball man. For him to let these things happen, and I'm just going to give you two little instances yesterday. My son happened to be at the game in Minnesota, so he alerted me to it. So, we, you know, we have uh, eyes and ears everywhere. But if a dude goes on third base, first of all, he's, he set a career high in, in doubles this year. Now, in this particular double to left field, he's hitting the ball the other way. Good for him. Ball sailing, you know, he's getting a backspin, going, going, going. He's watching it the whole way. That's mistake number one. Should have been a triple. He, he's got the career high for doubles because he, sh- he probably should have had 10 triples this year he didn't get because he's jogging out watching the ball. Stop watching the ball. You can watch it for a second maybe just to get a feel where you're going. But, you know, start running. So, anyway, he gets on third base, one out. Devers gets, Devers gets up, and he hits a little flare to right field. We've all been there. We've seen it a million times. What's going to happen on that play? You know, Will, you've seen that a million times. It's going to bounce, it's going to get caught, or it's going to be a sliding catch. And chances are, if you stay at third, which we've been told from day one of Little League, on any fly ball to the outfield, you can walk home. So he, of course, comes off the line. Uh, Kepler makes a great diving, sliding catch. And, 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 And at first, the announcers were like, well, you know, a great catch by Kepler. They didn't even realize that, you know, he should be walking home. And finally, Millar said something. And um, 
you know, you stay home there. That that's such a dumb. It was one nothing at the time. They lose. I, I forget what they lost four two or something like that. But that was a huge play early in the game, third inning, and and then he's shaking his head, making faces, doing all those things that Verdugo does, and all these the actors who are ball players, what they do. You know, and they're saying the whole inning, oh, nobody feels worse than him. I'm tired of that, too. Uh, pro tip to broadcasters, stop saying, oh, nobody feels worse than him. No, I think your fan who's watching the game, who, who puts his life into the, his team, feels worse than the guy who's making millions of dollars to not do his job. So stop it, okay? Stop where nobody feels worse than him. I don't want to hear that ever again, you know? And uh, so that got me going. But it, also, in the earlier in the inning, in the, in the top of the inning, first and second twins, one out. Little chopper hit the third. You know, uh, Devers, all he's got to do is step on third, throw the first double play. He trots across the third base back. He doesn't know how many outs there are. He's running into the dugout. This is Major League Baseball. People are paying Major League prices for this. They're paying for this MLB network. They're paying to go into the ballpark. They're paying crazy numbers for beers. And these guys can't even... Everybody makes mistakes. Believe me, errors, those things happen. I'm not saying anything about that. These are mental mistakes that happen every night. You watch every game. Correa, Correa has the guy dead at home because Fam kind of slips at third base, and he overthrows home by 30 feet. How does this happen? How does it happen? Here's how it happens. They don't practice anything anymore. They don't care about you. They don't give a damn about you. And they're playing the game the way they want for their, for their MLB of the show, you know, Tatis is a great example of that. Now, some players do care, and I, I know I've been around them forever. You know, there's a, a lot of players who care. But for the most part, these players are caught in their own little woe is me world, and they produce these plays that are just atrocious. And I'm really sick and tired of watching it, and I'm sure this is why they're, they're losing fans left and right. These are little league plays that could have been done. So that really caught my eye. I don't like to be negative here, but I'm trying to teach the young players – Pay attention to the game. Focus on the play. Ball sit to the outfield on third base. Get back to the bag and score. Okay? Uh, don't keep three rocks. If you have to keep three rocks in your pocket, keep three rocks in your pocket, all right? And move them from one pocket to the next after one out, you know? You can do this. It's not that hard. You can count to three. You can focus. So these uh, plays should not be made, and we shouldn't have laughing hyenas talking about the game as if it's the greatest game in the world. Let's get some reality here, and that's what we do here at Coach and Kernan. Yeah, I think it's a great way to kick us off here. And, and we all know mistakes are made because, one, they're not practiced, and when they are made, the mistake's not processed, and then it's tolerated. by It's like dealing with small children. They'll that's do the key tolerate. word. That's the key word. I forgot to mention that. You, please go with that because it is tolerated. In the old day, and we can go right to Will here, and we can also go to Sal on this because Sal's, you know, Sal's working hard with people to get them right. And if they just aren't focused, you know, we'll start, you know, you, you take it from here, but uh, these guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, go ahead, Will. Uh, you, you see this every day at the ballpark, and then Sal jump in if you guys are talking about the importance and, and, of repetition. You know, you know, the sad thing is, is that these are – a lot of these guys are some of the greatest athletes that have ever played baseballs, like from a tool standpoint, but their lack of knowledge and feel for the game and ability to uh, make adjustments within the game and, and be smart baseball players is not being taught. You know, we talk about it every week that we're chasing shiny objects and, uh, 
you know, for a subject to, to carry through this. And Jeff Fry posted Dan O'Dowd's very impassioned uh, segment with Mark DeRosa the other day about pitching and hitting in the big leagues, the lack of ability to be a good hitter. And the fact that guys like Mookie Betts don't go till the fifth round of the draft, yet they were capable of doing things that aren't being elevated. Um, I think he talked about some other young hitters, Alex Bregman, just how good of hitters these guys are. And he talked about pitchers that were able to execute and command. Those are things that are are, are not being taught. I talked to a, a double-A pitching coach just recently, and he just said the lack of focus and ability to execute and the, the number of mistakes that are made down the middle of the plate center cut fastballs that are 95, 96 miles per hour, guys hit those. Well, that's the key word, the F word, focus. Yeah, there's no focus and no ability to execute. And, um, you know, the game's got to be better. You know, we, 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 we're, we're lowering the bar and looking the other way. And, and at some point, we, 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 we really got to be better. And, you know, hopefully the young people that are listening – and the young coaches that are listening will start teaching more. Yeah. So what are you seeing out there? You're, you're seeing it, you're hitting it from a different angle, but you're, you know, your performance, mental, physical, you know, what, what are you seeing out there in regards to this? I think we spoke about it off, <clears throat> off the podcast, but um, I, I would go to uh, a lot of these coaching conferences and hear coaches say, you know, these kids are uncoachable. Kids are uncoachable. And in my opinion, because of how this club system is being run across the board, um, we've created kids who are uncoachable because the demands put upon them are so low bar. And I mean this in the way that we have these club, and I don't care if it's lacrosse, baseball, basketball, a lot of these club programs are based on the coaches rolling the balls out there, giving them some warm up, and they go out and they play a game. And General instructions, directions, corrections are being yelled out, but they're not specifically aimed at someone. And at the end of the day, there's no accountability for a kid not responding. And it becomes this vicious cycle. And I'll give you a quick example. When we do, uh, I do my team warm-ups for a practice or a game, it's a pain in the neck for me because I coach every second of it. And you have to because kids fall into bad habit and it goes back into that saying you're either uh, allowing it to happen or coaching it. And I could actually specifically call to a kid and say, hey, Billy, back leg straight, front leg bent, back leg straight, front leg bent. And they're not accustomed to having directions given to them personally. And so we've created this generation of kid that's not used to being coached in the way that we want them to respond to us coaching them. That's and, a great I think style, and I want to interrupt just because you hit me there. Is it, is it, they can't take criticism? Is that part of it? Um, I don't think it's, I, I don't actually, you know what, Kevin, I don't think at the root, that's the problem. I think the kid is so used to being in a group of 20 or 25 or 12 kids right. and the coach ignoring him as he's basically ignoring 12 kids by giving general instructions, whether it's 12, 25 or 40, you know, the least enjoyable part of practice for me for football has been warm up because of how I run it. And other coaches just either don't want to or can't 
have the focus themselves to coach every kid and you pick out a kid who's doing something terribly. Now, fortunately for me, after a while, if I have 30 kids, 29 or 28 of them are probably right on. And it's very easy to spot the kid who's wrong. And I tell kids that all the time. But I, I really think these kids are used to going into these settings and not being expect, uh, not having any expectations of actually being coached. And that's where this all starts, in my opinion. Well, my son was at the game, as I said, and he's a good coach and he, he's very good in business as well. You know, he, he gets it all. And he, he pointed out to me that what he noticed was the, the warm up was lethargic. And I think he used the word pathetic, you know, or something like that. They just don't warm up properly anymore. They, there's no focus there. So, so it starts there. Well, well, parents, I'll give you one. I know Kevin asks for a, a, an exercise at the end of the podcast, but I'm going to give you an early cue or clue that you don't want your kid or something has to be done about your kid's coach. If you get a coach that sends kids on laps at the start of practice, right off the bat, you got a lazy coach. That's a good point. Will, you want to add to that? Yeah, just, you know, uh, the the so-called elite player, player becomes the entitled player. And we see those those elite, talented kids get away with things and not because coaches don't want to lose them playing on their team and not realize that they're actually creating a monster. And you know, I guess there's a reason why guys like Belichick win every year and, and Saban in football, because he does get the elite athlete, but then he holds the elite athlete that they hold the elite athletes accountable every day. Absolutely. I think you know, they're, they're, yeah. they're, I don't know why people don't read their books and follow what they're doing. It's 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 sad. Well, that's the thing with Sal and Will. We have guys in the trenches that understand this. So it's not just me as a writer overlooking something. But again, I, I look at it differently than a writer. And Dave is a coach as well. So so this is this is really what we're seeing. It's very important stuff here. And and the best thing you can do as a player is start, you know, being a little bit more. And I hate to use the word professional because it's supposed to be fun. But be a little bit more um uh, serious about your job, at least. And then you can have fun. That's the other thing. You Fun comes after you do good things. For example, say Verdugo runs hard out of the box and gets a triple. Well, the next hit ball was a hit, hit up the middle. He scores easily. So none of that bad stuff ever happened. But it all starts with not running out of the box. Say say Devers is, uh, you know, uh, he just makes a great play on a, a ball down the line because he ha- the shift is on, so he has to run 300 yards to catch a ball because, that you know, the nerds don't have any clue where to, that you can hit the ball everywhere. And um, and so he loses his focus. And if he just focuses a little bit more, all those talents become smiles. Those plays you make, that great play that, on the pop-up, that great triple or that. Even if you stay second on the double, but you pay attention, you score easily, and you're smiling. So by focusing on the game, you'll have more fun. You guys, I think this uh... – I'll share with you guys. I had to do a little impromptu coaching clinic this past week, and I was away with my boys at a tournament. And I'll share it. And it's almost like we were in sync at this. I'm pulling from and summarizing what you guys said. I was asked amongst a panel, what's the most important skill a kid can have? And everybody talked about speed and strength and arm and whatnot. And my answer was the ability to concentrate. And I think that goes across all sports. That's huge. Uh, Another, another question I got asked was, you know, what do you see wrong with today's kids? And I said, well, I think it's a joint thing. It's kids and parenting. I think children have a hard time differentiating between coaching and criticism. Um, I, I think that's that's true across the board. 
for the most part. Will, you hit on a point too that was that pointed out at the clinic. I told all the coaches there, if you can't coach your best player, you're in trouble. You're going to be in trouble yeah. for the whole season. And, and, uh, and, and, and when your best player becomes a leader, you have a great team. Oh, my gosh, yeah. That's the, that's yeah. the key. And then the, the last point that you guys hit on right at the end, Kevin, you hit on it. It's uh, they, they asked me about this whole, you know, aren't the kids supposed to have fun? And I said, let me ask you this. At what point in time in your world did fun, working hard, or doing things the right way become mutually exclusive? You can have fun by doing things the right way. I mean, that's the whole thing. I said, I've never had fun at anything that I sucked at. I, I'm totally on it. I don't want to be bad at something. So um, so that I, I kind of made those points at the clinic. And you guys, it was interesting. We didn't talk about that. I never mentioned to any of the three. And you guys basically summed it up uh, today, each of you with your points. So it uh, shows you how we, we probably have to see other people. We're spending too much time together. Yeah. yeah well, also, I want to add one thing to that because that's the great thing about our show. Uh, each one of us makes us think about something. And I think the word that's missing is pride, too. Yeah, like pride is a huge word here, and I'll, uh, I'll personalize this. But in, in my when I was in, uh, you know, my summer job through high school for a couple of years was like painting the curbs and the crosswalks in my town. Well, I took pride in doing it right. You know, now that's not a group. You know, that could be looked upon as a you know kind of a job that's tough and boring or whatever. But I it was a fun job, so I had pride doing that. And take pride in the little things. And and again, the people who are who are, who are you know, I, I'm not blaming the athletes, even though it's their fault. I'm blaming the people in charge. That's why I bring up Alex's name. And, and uh, you know, I'd love to have Alex on the show sometime to explain all this. But uh, he can't stand for this stuff. And, and Hein Bloom is a, is a nerd uh, guy in charge of the Red Sox. And I think the Red Sox, because of what's happening above them, where you're not getting players signed who should be signed that have given um, their careers to the organization – I think the players are losing focus as a result of that. So, yes, it's on the players, but I, I look at it as deeper. There's no pride in the organization and no pride in doing your job. Yeah. Go ahead, Will. No, you know, you mentioned the painting thing, uh, Kevin, and uh, I got interviewed for Cal's first book, The Only Way I Know. And there's a little bit in there, and I remember this from when I was rooming with Cal in the minor leagues. Uh, his dad, when they used to shovel snow, they had to shovel a straight line on the sidewalk <laughs> and they would do the neighbor next door. So it was something that I picked up because my dad did the same thing. And like, it's, hey, if you're going to do something, do it right. You know, you know, you don't, that's ridiculous. That old lady's not going to be able to walk through that little shovel path. You got to go the width of the sidewalk and they got to be perfectly straight lines. Yeah. You know, it's just... Just little little things like that, but those those little disciplines play in your life to always do the right thing. But well, how are you going to shovel snow when you're playing your video games? You can't do it. Yeah, right. Your avatar. Yeah. yeah. With um, that, that's a question that I used to ask in another form to recruits when I was coaching collegiately, and it was to get to know the family's discipline with the kid. That way, I knew if I could coach him. Uh, and my question was. If your mother and father ask you to mow the lawn and they tell you to mow it at three inches high and it comes at that four inches high, what happens? <laughs> and the answer to that question told me a lot about the family. Some be like, well, not a big deal. Or, you know, hey, uh, you know, I'll go out and do it for them. And the family that I wanted that I knew I could coach was the, the mother and father said, either go do it again or he just lost his privilege to mow the lawn. That was 
that was the family that I wanted in the program that could deal with my old school values. But um, let's get into our topics today. Uh, Well, yesterday, Kevin and I were talking a little bit after the show. We both had a question for Billy and the show flowed so well, we just never got to it. And uh, we thought maybe you could you could help us has to do with amateur scouting. And I know we've touched on it before. Um, and then Sal, you, you could jump into too here because you see it from that perspective as well. But with the way amateur scouting used to be, you know, where you were going from ballpark to ballpark from nine in the morning till nine at night, going across the, the five boroughs as Billy did. How has that changed in your ability to evaluate now that we're in this showcase environment? Yeah, it's, it's changed so much. And I'm out of touch with it, and when I look at it, to me, it's it's dysfunctional now because a lot of it comes from the top down as opposed to Billy or myself or the other area scout finding the talent and going, oh, my gosh, this kid's got a chance to be a first-round pick or a third-round pick or whatever. These kids are now all identified by cross-checkers on quick looks at national showcases where they see a guy throw two innings and they now tell the area scout, this kid's a first round pick. So the used to, you should be the one that would designate this guy. Yeah. All of well, this guy. yeah. You know, you would see a kid pitch in a Legion, a Legion playoff game and throw a one hit shutout and strike out 15 and you see a, an above average fastball and above average curveball and a kid who competed I now know that this kid is a warrior as opposed to the entitled kids that are traveling around the country, going to showcases, swinging out of their behind and hitting home runs in BP. And then they get a hit in the game and, you know, or the pitcher that goes out and strikes out two guys and hits 97, but he only throws an inning. You know, what's inside of him? What's inside of him when he's playing in a big game? What's inside of him when he's playing against his most hated Legion team or his most hated other high school team, his arch rival? Um, Those are the things that that, that all are not missed. And, you you know, the other thing I thought a little bit about this when you sent it out, you know, player development and amateur scouting are built around failure unfortunately, because most of the players do fail and they don't get to the big leagues, but you need those players to play your games and develop your guys who do get to the big leagues. But, you know, if you can hit 300 in player development and scouting, you're doing a really good job because nobody knows what's inside of the player that you sign out of high school who, uh, was the big fish in the little pond, and now he's just another fish in an ocean. And he fails, and he gets scared, and he starts to lose confidence in himself. We we don't know what's inside of the player. That's why you try to dig as much as possible, and you try to see, you know, the success of what a guy. Uh, yesterday, Billy mentioned Jason Mars Mar- Marquis from Staten Island. I banged on the table so hard that they finally told me to shut up because I wanted to take him in the first round because of the competitor that he was, that I knew he was going to pitch in the big leagues and pitch for a long time because every time I went to watch him, he did something, not only pitching, but he would hit a triple and slide head first in the third base. Uh, He would bowl a catcher over to score the winning run. 
and you're going, oh, my gosh, this guy wants to win every day. So, um, you know, and then the, the pro scouting, you know, the guys are in the they're in the system and, you know, you 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 need to be right a lot more in pro scouting than you do in amateur scouting because you're filling out the rosters. You're finding the guys who have the talent and the tools, but we don't know if they can play until they go out and play and they need to play for a while. Guys are being rushed up the higher levels that aren't ready to play in the big leagues, too. Sal, go ahead. Well, I think the problem with started, and again, I'm, I'm going to talk about football, um, but football scouting spends less time watching game film and big game film than they do watching guys in T-shirts and shorts uh, doing things that have little to do with the game itself. And I think that's been the problem that all these other sports have emulated. Uh, I had a call, have a colleague who was the head strength and conditioning coordinator for an NHL team. And, you know, he would talk about how ridiculous the NHL combine had become. And it was getting so far from where, you know, the game is being played that it was becoming meaningless. And I think at the end of the day, baseball is doing the same thing. If I understand bull and I, I will, and I understand these, showcases where you're you know you're you're watching a kid play in a game that's just not what the real game is or you're watching I saw the NF, uh, MLB combine again watching guys in shorts and t-shirts doing things that have nothing to do with playing baseball so I think that's a big problem right there I, I think you've got uh, gotten away from watching game film and there's too much of this combine nonsense yeah and there's Great a point Sal it seems like there's a glossed over evaluation that used to be the job of the, the area scout to get inside that showcase with a kid that's paid a lot of money and how much obligation do they have to give a, maybe a skewed ranking or a higher, as we're seeing on, you know, Jeff Fry's very good at uncovering it. Those, uh, you know, 1.8 pop times that, you know, Pudge Rodriguez yeah. barely had. You got these 15 year old kids that are being showcased at that. And, um, and then, you know, to Sal's point too, I, I think, you know, what, what we're seeing with the actual evaluations, we're not we're not getting real game action there. We're, we're trying to, again, shorten T-shirts environment. So. Well, and the other thing we're not getting is what Sal does, I think, for, for athletes. And, uh, you know, the constant upping your game by by doing basic, simple things. And I know I know we've uh, we, we've mentioned this before, but I want to get into more detail. What why can't Johnny run anymore, Sal? And what can be done about that? Well, again, you've got. Um, you know, three, I, I know of, uh, I know a, a high school football team that, you know, was complaining that their kids are in the weight room now during training camp and they have, all the guys have hamstring issues. So, I mean, it's this horrendous litany of practices that piled upon each other. It's not even a vicious cycle. It's this, um, um, load that's being placed on these players with, a. um, uh, uh misfocus on what's the important things. I mean, again, I can't tell you how many baseball players I've had come to me in the last year that have horrendous shoulder and ankle mobility. So, I mean, how can you play baseball if your ankles are bad and if your shoulder range is bad, but they, they get through it because young bodies are great at cheating. You know, great uh, young bodies are, are supple and can do things that the older bodies can't do. The problem is you set those patterns um, when they are young, that are uh, dysfunctional, 
And that's why these guys in their 20s are breaking down on top of they're too big and they're too heavy and they have too much muscle and they have too much fat. Um, because if you look at some of the data, and now I'm not going to get into the argument about correlation equals causation, but you can look at the data of the size of uh, Major League Baseball players and the uh, prevalence of injury list visits, and there's a, a strong correlation. So when you look at all the pieces of evidence, there's a, a, a lot to be said for mis, uh, improper training and um, uh, not focusing on the fundamentals are what's gotten us into this position. Give us one running exercise. What's that? Give us one running exercise that would really help help uh, people. Well, I, I don't. You know what? The, the, the problem with that is there's so much that needs to be looked at. Uh, you know, the, you you basically you know uh, Coach Jim Radcliffe at Oregon, who's one of the legends and is the top guy in the field. Always said you get faster by running faster. And that's great because he knows how to teach kids. So the kids he gets, for the most part, you know, he gets them to that point. There's so much dysfunction at the low levels that it's there is no one exercise anymore. You know, you could as a diagnostic tool, you know, to Will's uh, what Will has to look at. Take a kid out, watch him sprint from home to first, and then have him run the bases. That's all you need to know. And then uh, you could probably do a 20-page report on the kid's problems based on what you see when he sprints. Yeah. And Sal, you, you, you sent a great article to us. We, we kind of segued into our next our next topic here, the new shape of baseball. We see, we've seen baseball go undergo, let's just call it for polite terms, a drastic stylistic change um, that we've all voiced our opinion on. What does the the current Major League Baseball look like to you? I know we're in audio right now, but can you give a visual to our audience as to, you know, what you're seeing as the new Major League Baseball player, the new shape of baseball? Well, I think you have a lot of fat players. I mean, there's no, you know, there's no nice way to say it, but look, I have, again, another one of my mentors, a guy who I learned a lot from, Vern Gambetta, who was a, a very successful, you know, uh, strength coach. He worked with the White Sox. He worked with the Bulls. He's uh, in basketball. He's been around. He always used to say, look at guys' faces. Look at the, I, I texted you guys. Every, it seems to be, except Garrett Cole, almost every pitcher the Yankees bring in has a fat face. That's not like, oh, baby fat or that, you know, when every guy has a fat face, you start to look at the bodies and they're all fat. And then, like I said, you could go look at the trend. Now, the trend weight, the weight has come down a little bit, but I still think, you know, we're down at 205 or 208 pounds is the average. It was up as high as, I believe, 211 a few years ago. I mean, go back and look at Mays and Mantle and Aaron. Those guys were all under 200 pounds. I, ha I had a discussion with one of my buddies about Bobby Mercer. There was a great uh, – I, I texted you guys last night during the Yankee game. They had a great point about – Bobby Mercer was traded for Barry Bonds, and then they traded Bonds for Ed Figueroa and Mickey Bobby Rivers. Bonds. Bobby Bonds. Bobby Bonds. I'm sorry, Bobby Bonds. And you go back and look at Bobby Mercer. He was a 160-pound player who was like a, a mid-level power hitter. Where, where do you see a 160-pound player today in baseball hitting the ball that's considered a, a mid-level power hitter? It just doesn't happen. So – you know, you've got a lot of fat players here, and I think that's why we have a lot of injuries and why they can't perform basic fundamentals because they can't move well. Because they're too big, whether it's too muscular, incorrect muscular, or fat, those things all are contributing. Yeah. Well, go ahead. 
Yeah, I you know you know you mentioned two oh eight. Um, I signed out of high school. I was six foot one. I think I was two hundred pounds when I signed, and I was heavy, a little bit too heavy. And I had to watch. I've had to watch my weight. You know, Kevin's the only one who's met me. I've watched my weight my whole life. I fought that, but I had to come into spring training under two hundred pounds at about one hundred ninety pounds every year, and I worked hard at it. And I ran my butt off every day and I did sit-ups and I did pickups and I did things on the baseball field that kept my weight down all year long. Um, now players do not do enough things on the field. And uh, maybe the weight at the big league level is going down a tiny bit, but go start weighing some kids that I see in a ball that are 6'1", 255 pounds, 260 pounds, that that is not good because they're not their bodies are not going to last on the mound they're not going to be able to get the balance and be good pitchers they're not going to be able to to, to to be good players you know we're we're chasing a lot of the wrong things and we're not doing enough things on the field to keep your body in shape you know you mentioned Bobby Mercer I remember when I met Joe DiMaggio uh, opening day of the Marlins first inaugural game, him and Wayne Huizinga were very good friends and he came to the game and you go, Oh my gosh, this guy hit 400 and some home runs. He was five foot 11, 160 pounds. You know, look at Mookie Betts. He's not a monster. Look what he does on a baseball field. You don't have to be Aaron Judge's size to be a good baseball player. Baseball was always the sport of the everyman. You know, yeah, that's a great point. Mookie reminds me, you know, the way he uses that bat as a, a two pound lever and just gets it through because he had he comes from his butt side and he's you know, he keeps his shoulders straight. It's a it's a great swing. And, uh, you know, all, all through the years, guys, that can't guarantee stuff. You know, we talked about it and everybody knows about it, but the wrists were phenomenal. So, yeah, so that's, you know what? That, that's what made them great hitters. You know, the Mets brought in a guy, a Vogelback, and he's a fan favorite. But, like, if I'm a baseball player and I'm looking at that guy can't run to first base or, you know, has a has had hamstring issues, he's – it's emba- – to me, that's embarrassing. If I was a major league player and that guy's out on the field, that's embarrassing. I can't think of another sport where a guy is that obviously physically incapable and yet still on the field. I just – think about it. Imagine that in basketball, or you know, that doesn't happen. Imagine a fat soccer player. I mean, it, it it's it's embarrassing. I don't understand how he's on a major league roster. Sorry. I, well, I, he can he can hit, and uh, eh. you know, there's freaks that uh, you know. Charles Barkley. I remember when he's, I covered the he's NBA. Two forty. He's hitting two forty. I mean, what's his average? Two forty, and that's that's good enough now. Oh well, yeah, know. that's that's fantastic now. Jeez, I mean, he can't play the field. Game. He's not playing the field at that weight. It's it's embarrassing. Well, I will say this. Babe Ruth was a little overweight. Yeah. Now, with, with Sal, you brought up a point with basketball, and Kevin, you mentioned Barkley. That was kind of – Barkley was probably the exception to the rule. Are you saying, Sal, you're seeing that being more of the rule in baseball? We're seeing way too many. Well, I mean, and I think that's – you know, Barkley, if you go back and look at him when he played in Phoenix, I think he was heavy in college when he could get away with it. Well, I, he, you know, I, I grew up in Philly, and Barkley was heavy when he signed – he went to Pat Croce and lost about 35 pounds and put on 
muscle, and he ended up being a superstar in the NBA. Yeah. He, he was he, he, work. The same thing I said. Guys used to work hard to keep their weight down, and right now we're looking the other way, and there are too many players that are out of shape that are playing in the big leagues right now because they're not out on the field working hard enough. What I like now is when I see a pitcher on the mound, to, to Sal's point, and I'm not going to name names because uh, I once was heavy, but I kind of lost that weight. I like when I see the little roll of fat in her neck. That, yeah. Uh, that, 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 again, that's the scout in me saying, you know, we got a little issue here. And, uh, you know, uh, Sal's 100% right. But I think we come back to accountability. Nobody's holding these guys accountable for anything. And uh, like uh, Will says, they, they chase shiny eyes. They're chasing – swing path instead of running path. To get oh, you-, you know, what about the pitcher that covers first base and you look like he looks like he's having a stroke <laughs> after he comes back yeah. to the mound and he's got to go get the rosin bag and, you know. Uh, and they won't bunt again on him or anything because, yeah, they, you know, not done because they don't want to take advantage of anybody because it's, uh, you know, it's you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Well, this is for Bull, uh, for Will and uh, for Kevin, what's it, what are they serving in, in the clubhouses these days? Oh, well, they never it's, stop eating. I, I talked to a, um, it's, <laughs> it's like, this is well, um, my it's, nephew, my nephew works for an organization. He said, it's like Golden Corral. It starts at noon. There you go. There's food. There's food. You know, when I played, there was no food in the clubhouse, nothing. So, you know, if you wanted to eat something, you had to go give somebody, give the bat boy a dollar to go get you a hot dog because you didn't eat lunch or something. Or when you the game so you can get your 20 yeah. minutes. You know, now they uh, you go to the ballpark, there's protein bars, protein shakes, Gatorade. There's all this stuff in there. There's water. There's this. There's that. They're not out on the field doing anything. Then they have a pregame meal. They have a postgame meal. This is great. They've hired nutritionists. You see the players eating during the game in the dugouts now. I, 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 <laughs> These guys are on sports drinks. These guys are getting thousands of calories a day of useless calories and that it's also screwing up their metabolism. So um, we can go, yeah, go a whole show on that. You know, it's just a, it, it's such a different world. Um, there's this thing that, well, you know, if we protect them, it's a long season. Spring training so long and the season so long. We, you know, we got to rest them. They have the sleep chambers in there. So you can, you know, you, know, you got guys sleeping and eating and not out on the field. You know, yeah. when I got to the ballpark at, at three o'clock in the afternoon when I played, you went out on the field. I was a pitcher. I did my running. I threw my bullpen. I went and I played catch with guys. We went and shagged. We played pepper. We did baseball stuff. We didn't have video games. We didn't have a big screen TV and an air-conditioned clubhouse, and we didn't have food. Yeah, along those lines, I remember once I uh, I had a um, I had an interview set up with Jose Reyes, and um, nobody could find him. At a certain time, you know, I sent some uh, some of the uh, team officials to go look for him. And then about uh, uh, the, the next day, Jose came over to me and apologized. He fell asleep in the sleep chamber room and uh, nobody could find him. So it's it's basically um, it's it's basically uh, four seasons. Basically, it's it's, uh, you know, they, 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 and again, you can still do all this stuff and be like Aaron Judge and be in shape comes down to personal responsibility. Well, let's uh, let's move quick to one more topic that covers personal responsibility. I think we all know our opinions on it, but we'll kind of air it out here. 
Araldus Chapman, three-year, $48 million contract is now sidelined because of a tattoo. Um, anybody want to grab that one? Well, I'll start first. I don't even want to talk about it because it's so ridiculous and there's no, it's a joke. It's a joke. So uh, that's, that's my comment. Joke. No, bad, bad ink in the tattoo. So a little message to the kids. Be careful on your tattoos here. Try to get, spend that money on developing a game, I would say. Um, so with, with that, we, did you, you guys all watch the Little League World Series right now. We saw a young man, Josiah Porter, Tennessee, has sight in, in just one eye. Um, had a great Little League World Series. They played, uh, played the outfield for the Tennessee team. They lost to Hawaii. Um, think about that young man. Someone talk a little bit about that. Here he is, one, sight in one eye, uh, having a lot of success in baseball, a lot of enthusiasm. What can we learn from him? Uh, I'll take that one. I, what, what a great story of uh, dedication, support from his family, um, keep dreaming a dream and, and, and going out and doing it and being able to achieve something. And, you know, hopefully he keeps playing and uh, just ends up having a great life. But what a great experience and what a great story that is. Um, I grew up in a little league. We had a kid with, that had one arm that played in our little league. And he was a good player. He was a really good player. Uh, his last name, Davey Shannon, I think his name was. And um, great kid. Uh, but it made all of us go, wow, look at this guy. Like, you know, all of us that are healthy, thank God that you're healthy. You have your things. And maybe it makes it elevate you a little bit, too. So. And I- the Little League World Series, um, the Little League uh, website and their, their Twitter feed does a great job with vignettes, and I happen to see that one. And that the kid is just a remarkable kid, remarkable parents, never stopped working, was always great until the injury. He obviously, had two, you know, he could hit sight in both eyes, but uh, was a tremendous hitter early on, never gave up. And there is, the, and the other thing is, they talk about there is a chance in the future that they can do some things to maybe get the sight back in that eye, but it's, uh, wow. it's, it's an emotional, it's, it's, it's great for the family. And also let's talk about, so we had Steve Keener on and we, the day of the injury where the poor kid from Utah got hurt. It seems like he's going to make a great, uh, he's going to make a full recovery. So that's good news too. So, you know, we're big fans of the Little League World Series and Little League here. Uh, even though some people sometimes question it. So good, good for all these kids. Yeah. I think, you know, I hope the lesson is learned. I think some of these things go by the board. You know, think about I, I think about the nonsense that parents allow their kids to mispractice for. And, um, you know, think about what this young man has dealt with and how he's adapted and adopted. Um, I think everyone should be like that. But, you know, I hope it's uh, I hope it has a, 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 a difference or makes a difference in some people. Yeah, it makes like Will said, it makes you take a look at yourself. And in this, I watched a little bit of the Hawaii game. The first two batters hit rocks to right center field. And this young man, unlike some of our major leaguers that Kevin, we talked about earlier in the show, he, he chased down both those fly balls and caught them both and corralled them in. And both were tough catches to make. And he bats third for the Tennessee team. So I like the point of, you know, we talk a lot about, you hear a lot of people make excuses, lack of resources. This kid's not lacking for resourcefulness at all. I mean, he's finding a way. I think that's a great message for those that I got a chance to watch him play. And um, he's fearless. He's fearless. I mean, uh, you know, going out there, uh, you know, fantastic. I mean, it's 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 a great lesson, and that's what Little League World Series shows. Don't don't get hung up on some of the other things. 
And, but, but watch some of these kids. That's why I get back to my original point we started the show with. I think these players want to do the right thing in, in how they play the game, if they're held accountable. And then you see a guy like that, and it, it should uh, raise your game. Yeah, I'm convinced kids want to be disciplined, and I mean that in a positive way. Discipline has gotten a bad rap uh, over yeah. here. I'm convinced they want to be disciplined. They want to do things the right way. Go ahead, because, Will, because everybody wants to let everybody do their thing now. You know, well, you know, when you're disciplining, you show that you really care. But, you know, what I wanted to share was a little story about a, a young man that I met when he was about eight years old. And uh, I used to do the camps with the hit doctor, Joe Barth, and uh, – a gentleman by the name of Bob Hennifer had a son, an eight. Uh, he had an older son that had gone through our camps, and when his son, younger son, was eight years old, he brought him into our camps, and he was a Down syndrome child. And one of the most beautiful, spirited kids I've ever met in my life. He would go through the camps and work his butt off every day. Uh, I've known him his whole life. Um, he ended up playing in a varsity basketball game, hitting two three-pointers as a senior in high school. He's been in the Special Olympics and golf. Um, when I lost my wife, I started a thing called Scouting for a Cure, and everybody wanted to play golf with him and his foursome because he would win every year. And, you know, we had a nice prize for the winning foursome. Um, this young man uh, works at a Wegmans in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, uh, has been the employee of the month like 10 times. And uh, it just lets you, you know, don't set boundaries for your kids. It's amazing what happens when you don't do that. So, yeah, what's his name again? Well, also the uh... Uh, Brad Hennifer. Okay, Brad Hennifer. And, the, uh... Uh, and I absolutely love this kid and his family. And, he was a mentor to my son um, over life, so good stuff. When I was in San Diego, we uh, started the uh, Challenger League, and uh, Jack McKean would come out and help us, and, uh, you know, he helped with some of the kids who needed help getting around the bases and things like that, and it was a, it was a great experience, and uh, that's another good thing. If you're ever bored someday, want something to do, want to go watch a game, if your local little league uh, has a challenger league, go watch that. That'll 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 get you excited. Yep. Yeah. Make you appreciate things a little bit, guys. Yep. Been been great show today. Almost almost an hour here. We, we've flown by as usual. And I I know Kevin, you've gotten into and accustomed to ending the show with with a question for for Sal. Why don't you why don't you do that for us? Well, I'm still going to pin down Sal on a running exercise that helps kids. I mean, no, I, we're, we're, we're too we're too far gone. It would be like. There is no exercise. There is no one exercise that's going to fix a poor runner. Give me a walking exercise that's going to help kids. Uh, tie your shoes and wear <laughs> real, real sneakers. Don't wear slides. Tell, wear talk crop. about that, Sal. Why, 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 you know, it's funny. I'm seeing more and more. Ever since you mentioned this briefly in the show a few weeks ago, I'm seeing more major leaguers tying their shoes. I mean, well, it's tie good. your shoes in the dugout. What's, what's, tie your shoes and don't wear sliders. Explain what you mean by that. So um, there's a uh, – uh, this is a long way. I'll sh shorten it. You know, we have poor ankle mobility in our young athletes. It's because there's no free play. That's the first part. But I think it's a huge part about the footwear. Kids wear slides. Pe kids wear Crocs. 
Um, they don't tie their shoes during activity, so their ankle is not being used to its full extent. Your body accommodates because of what you have to do to walk and move, uh, either in those slides or crocs and or when you don't tie your shoes. Uh, I was the strength coach for a Division One men's basketball team that went to the NCAA tournament two times in three years. We had the whole team not wearing, uh, not tying their shoes during practice. I had them, I would make them tie their shoes when they came to me. Um, so that's one of the things you could do. It's not a drill, but go out and climb a little bit and wear shoes that you can tie. How about ankle mobility? Is there something they can do simple for to just gradually improve ankle mobility? Yeah, barefooted, sit with your legs out in front of you, like supported to like mid calf and uh, trace the alphabet with your foot. So A, B, C, all the way through Z, and do that with both sides. That's a drill that Ron Darling used to do with his pitching arm. Uh, to uh, uh, and, and he said all his pitchers did it from the trainer, a longtime trainer they had. He would do the alphabet, uh, and that strengthened his arm and helped him avoid injury. Yeah. Like that. Will, go ahead. No, I just had a funny story with the uh, – I wore a pair of loafers – the day of my son's Navy graduation from basic training, I had to walk about a mile, and I always wear sneakers that are tied nice and tight. I pulled my calf muscle. There you I go. Up, I ended up limping around the whole day, <laughs> like a like an old man. I thought I thought I was going to need a wheelchair. Now I get I have like people general pop population people have terrible ankles too because everybody does that but it's really bad with an athlete so yeah. that's that's exactly what happens yeah and i i said i told my wife i said i i told you i should have wore my sneakers <laughs> blamed it on her blamed it on her you guys great show today i think we gave our audience another uh, full basket of things to pull from um i think we made their baseball IQs better I uh, appreciate the effort today. Uh, episode 29 right now in the books. And look for Jeff Fry's episode. Uh, will Clark will be taped later today, produced tomorrow. Uh, and then we will have uh, Alan Jager, who you guys will love on Thursday. Make sure you tune in for that. Guys, have a great day. Take care. See you guys.